One of the problems I find with um, the world is I'm concerned about a lot of things, but I actually have agency and influence over a very small number of things. Uh, and so if you spend all your time thinking about the things that you actually have no control over, like um, you know, you, Biden's response to uh, Putin and, uh, and what's going to happen in Kiev this week, uh, you, you, it's just a recipe for misery. Um, you should be concerned, but you can't do anything about it, so you've got to temper that. So this morning, this morning we're going to think about something that is over which you alone, you alone have influence, and nobody has as much influence over this as you do, and that is we're going to talk about the nature of your own glory. I don't know if you think about yourself as a glorious person, but you are. You are a glorious person, and you are a glorious person who always seeks more glory. Okay, let me translate that into everyday language and support my uh, hypothesis with some evidence. You can think of glory and a seeking after glory as a desire to be fully human, the best version of you that there can be, to be fully alive. Why do I think we're all into glory? Well, A, I know myself, but B, I know that the personal improvement, self-development industry is massive. There is, in every human heart, once your basic Maslow hierarchy of needs has been met, if you're not fleeing an invading army, if you've got a house and you've got a home and you've got some security and you've got some money in the bank, your thoughts inevitably turn to how can I improve? How can I be a better version of myself? How can I be happier? How can I be more honorable? How can I be a better provider for my family? How can I be a better citizen? I mean, we're, we're wired for that level of improvement because we're glory seekers. We're made for glory. So let me ask you a question. It's a question I was asked this week. I'm in the middle of, I've just started a seven weeks of coaching with Christian Schwartz, who is the, uh, the founder and, and intellectual and spiritual genius behind this approach of natural church development. So doing these coaching sessions with him in Germany. He's sitting up in the north of Germany. And so we're doing this work on, on my life and my energy and my connection with God. And he asks this question, which is, it's funny, I do a lot of coaching and have done lots over the years, and it's, it's very interesting to be on the receiving end of these techniques and go, gee, they're really powerful and they work. Huh, okay, how cool is this? Here's the question that he, was, he asked me, and I'm going to ask you. On a scale of 1 to 10, where 10 is you are exactly the human being you want to be, and 1 is you are the exact opposite of the human being you want to be, where would you rate yourself? So 10, you are absolutely, this is the perfect version of you that you can imagine. And one is just the exact opposite of that. Um, where would you put yourself? Just come up with a number. Two. Oh, you don't have to shout it out, but I do appreciate it. Thanks, Ali. Thanks, Rick. He's a two. We've got a four. Have any advances on that? Yell it out. Five. That was what I chose. Always go in the middle. Don't commit either way. No guts. Where do you put yourself? Now, interesting thing, little announcement about coaching and these questions. These, what are called scaling questions, are extremely useful because they, no matter where you place yourself, 
it shows you that life is not binary. We very quickly move into a binary, I'm all bad or all good. I'm a terrible human being or I'm a great human being. It's not like that. Like life is not binary, mostly. It's, it's a scale. It's a grade. And that's true in our spiritual lives. That's true in our personal development. God's plan for you and for me is that we move increasingly to a 10. That's what he wants for you. That, in essence, is what Jesus came to live for, to die for, and to rise again for. At a very personal level, God's plan for you is to make you the very best perfected version of you. Uh, now, here's how I think it. So, so hold that thought. I'll give you another. And so that's glory. When you become fully you, you're the most glorious version of you possible. Here's another way I think of glory. Uh, and this is uh, glory in, in the Bible is sort of pictured like this. Glory is like this. There's a, it's a complex metaphor used in a number of ways in Scripture. But you can think of glory as like the energy that is inside of you that kind of radiates out. Okay, so energy can either be chaotic and misdirected and destructive, or it can be ordered for a good purpose, and it can shine out of you. So I see, I, some, the picture I've had as I've thought about this is God's plan for our lives. It's like he's planted this glory inside of us, this light, this energy, and what he wants to do is just turn up the volume. You know, if you've got a little thermostat, not a thermostat, a, a dimmer switch, what were the te- what's not a th- anyway? You've got a dimmer switch on your lights. We've got them in the house, and you know, you LED lights. You put the button on, and then the lights slowly go up and bright, and it's like, so the picture I've had is God reaching into my life, putting His finger into my soul, and just turning up the light, so that the glory shines, and I'm transformed. That's the journey we're on, right? Um, how cool would your life be if, uh, if, you were, if you were a 10? If the glory was so bright that when people saw you, they were just struck. That'd be pretty cool, hey? Struck by, <laughs> yeah, your glory, not your garbage. Now, we all seek glory. We all want that. Um, our problem is we seek it in a variety of ways. And, and as I thought about this, There are really only two ways in which we seek glory. So we're, um, where's it gone? We're glory seekers. And one way. One way is outside in. This is actually the way of um, our culture. (laughs) It's the way of the human heart. Um, And this is about uh, self-improvement. Personal development. This is the way of most humanistic psychology and counseling and therapy. And here's how it works. Um, You can... You have a problem, you have a deficiency in your life, you go and see a therapist, and they 
give you a whole bunch of techniques to work on, to apply to yourself to get better. Right? I won't ask for a show of hands, but you know, how many of you have been in therapy? Where that's effectively <laughs> two hands, yeah? Okay, so yeah, all of us. Well, not all of us. A lot of us have been in therapy. This is what happens. You go see a therapist, and they tell you stuff, and you work on it. Or if you want a more glorious body, let's, how many of you ever worked out with a personal trainer? Or someone who's tried to get you fit? You go there, and they tell you how fat and unfit and inflexible you are. And then what do they do? They give you a plan, and you work at it, and you work at your plan, and, uh, and the plan, if you exercise it, will make an improvement. Like if you stick it diligently, you've got a good trainer, it'll help. It'll help, right? Won't it? Uh, how many of you have ever been to see a doctor because you've got a sickness of some sort? Your body's not working in some way. Okay, you've been to see a doctor? Yeah, okay. And you go see a doctor, and they, they say, oh, there's a problem with your X, take your Y, and it helps. All of this glory-seeking move me to become a better version of me in my, in my mind, in my heart, in my spirit, in my body, in my physical health. If the techniques are, and the people helping you are good and insightful, they work, don't they? Well, they work a lot of the time. But there's a problem with them all, isn't there? The glory that they bring you and the glory that they bring me is transitory and fading. That's what 2 Corinthians says. This is the story. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, Moses is the leader of God's people. They have these profound encounters with God. Uh, Moses goes up the mountain. He has an encounter with God. He's, God's shining. There's glory everywhere. God, uh, Moses comes down. He's shining. And from then on, whenever Moses goes into the tabernacle to hear from God, he comes out and his face is shining and the, the Israelites are scared of that. So they put a lampshade on his head to, to dull the shining. Uh, the problem with the glory of the Torah, of the experience of God, the legislative framework the outside-in vision of transformation that Yahweh gave Moses and the Israelites. The problem with the Torah is the same problem with the prescription you'll get from your doctor to treat your uh, bacterial infection. It's the same problem with the brilliant therapy you'll get from your counselor or psychologist. It's the same problem you'll have with your personal trainer. It fades. It's transitory. Like, guess what? Uh, I remember when I was in medical school, a thought occurred to me. And it was actually a, uh, an older Christian doctor in my congregation at the time who pointed this out to me. He said, the problem with medical training is no one tells you that all your patients will die one day, no matter how good a doctor you are. That's a very confronting thought for an idealistic young medical student. Uh, no matter how good a doctor, like it, because the glory fades, the outside in uh, application of Torah, of obedience, of medicine, of psychology, of personal development, it works for a while. 
And maybe you're so good that you've got to put a lampshade on your head so that people aren't scared of it. Or actually, what Moses does, Paul does a retelling of the story in Exodus. The story is in Exodus 34. Um, Moses, Paul reckons Moses put a lampshade on his head. Um, you see here, to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. So the glory is fading. Moses puts a lampshade on so they can't see that it's fading. I just think that's a brilliant mirror. Like, we spend an enormous amount of time and energy trying to help, trying to hide the reality from people that our glory is fading. Why else do you get your hair colored? <laughs> Man, your glory is fading, people. Uh, your glory's and we hide it, but it's true. Okay, and that's those things. Are, there is nothing wrong with the Torah. When when Moses encountered God and he got God's revelation for the people, that was good. The problem was it didn't change them from the inside. The problem was the energy source, as it were, the light in their hearts was fading because energy was being, uh, was being emitted and they were just running out of juice, unable to be everything they wanted to be, and eventually they died in the desert. Same with you and me. Like, don't you know that? Like, no matter, at a very simple level, you know no matter what external improvement program you take on board, you, you have this deep, nagging sense that it's never enough. This is, you know, it's never enough. Um, if, if <laughs> it's just never enough. Uh, we know that, and it fades. You've got to keep going back. It's a great business model if you're in healthcare or personal training or physiotherapy or any of those things because everybody is never enough and everyone's fading. Uh, and you just help them and try and delay it. And I mean, much of our world is about putting lampshades on fading glory to pretend we're not shuffling into the grave. Uh, but we are. So that's the problem with option one. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Just hear me. I'm not saying those things are bad. I love a good therapist. I love coaching. I love good doctors. I love going to the gym and working out. I love trying to be fit and slim and healthy and, you know, do all of those things. But I'm dying. My glory is fading, and it's only a matter of time. And I'm never enough. Never enough. It's a, it's a fading, crushing burden. Have I labored that point enough? I could keep going. I mean, I'm a little depressed this week. You might have guessed. Like, it's a, it's a tough week. But it's important because it, until you get that in your head, you won't realize how unbelievably good option two is. You don't realize how good the light is until you've been stuck in the darkness. You don't, you don't realize uh, the alternate option is inside-out glory. And inside-out glory is when we recognize that our energy system, this, uh, this world we live in, is not a closed system. So you know Newton's second law of thermodynamics says in a closed system, everything tends towards entropy. So if you're in a closed system 
and there's no input. Everything winds down and you fall apart, your glory fades. That's the closed system, outside-in option. Biblically, and the amazing news of Christianity is we're not in a closed system. We are in an open system, and we're open to God. And what God does, if we invite Him in, and if we want it, is God says, I will actually inject energy, glory, my glory, my presence, my life itself into the core of your being, and God provides the energy source that will turn up the light inside you in a way that will never fade. So the transformation happens because we're connected to the divine, infinite, personal creator who says, I want to come and live in you. I want to come and make my home in you. I want to come and renew you and change you and take you from a one or a two or a three to a ten from the inside out. That's the whole point of 2 Corinthians 3, which is an extraordinary passage. Um, it says, there's glory of, the old, of Moses, but there's even more glory, and think about it. The glory of a great personal trainer and a, and, and a wonderful system of high-intensity interval training and a low-carb diet and yoga and Pilates and a physio getting you in amazing shape, like that's great, right? Compare that to the glory of an infinite, personal, loving creator shining into your heart and changing you so that this perfect, indestructible, eternal, iridescent glory will suffuse all of your being and you will get brighter and more beautiful and more wonderful forever and ever and ever. You will only ever get better. Like those, that's the comparison. Now, which would you rather have? Well, I'll have a bit of this, but man, I want a lot of that because that'll never fade because that's like, that's eternal infinite energy perfected in love made accessible to you and me from the inside out like you go wow that's a good deal right that's what paul says that's like a that's a no-brainer uh what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. If what was transitory, i.e. the law, personal development, therapy came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Oh, yes, Lord. Um, so uh, what does this result in? Um, well, here's how Paul puts it. In, uh, at the end of this verse, end of this little passage. And I think these verses, verse 18 in particular, um, it, it just probably some of the most beautiful and powerful and inspiring and hopeful words in, in all of human history. And we all, who with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So uh, what does this greater glory look like? What does option two result in? Well, the result is ongoing transformation from the inside out into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. 
So if you want to know what a 10 looks like for you, it looks like you would look if Jesus were you living your life perfectly. A 10, the perfection of your humanity is you becoming more and more and more and more like Jesus. From the inside out. So if you break that down, you go, at the very heart, it means your glory, the fulfillment of your humanity and my humanity is I increasingly become a man who from the inside out uh, is pure love. Like, that's pretty cool, says everyone around me. And that's what you could become. That's God's plan for your life. Now, just think about that for a moment. Imagine if, if everyone in the world were on this journey of transformation to becoming pure love from the inside out. Like, that'd be pretty cool. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know why everyone doesn't do it. <laughs> um, now, uh, what a vision. When you think about your life, think about yourself this week, what, what picture do you have of yourself? Well, you might, you know, you're going to have a, you know, what, what's your vision for you? And I, could there, be, could there possibly be a greater vision for your life than being transformed into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ? Now, of course, there's a problem with that, isn't there? Can you see the problem? The problem is this. Becoming Christ-like is actually, at one level, very unappealing. Because what happened to Jesus? Yeah, he died. Pure love in this world inevitably gets killed. That's what happens. I remember uh, years ago, I was doing this uh, degree at RMIT in Melbourne, and um, in a small group, we were doing this workshop with our, there were only 10 of us in the course doing this master's program, and everyone was talking about the sort of the strategy of that, the organizations, the, the subject was strategy or something like that, and, and everyone was sharing the sort of mission, vision, and values of their company that they were working in, and I said, well, you know, in our church, the, the vision for our organization is transformation into increasing Christ-likeness. Like, you know, wow, okay. That's cool. And then the lecturer said something that had a, had a profound impact on me. He said, wow. Um, and we'd been doing some analysis and study of uh, the church, and, and there was a lot of, there's, there's lots of ambivalence and pain in church life, right? Like, you study any church, and, and it's, it's a bit of a mess, and there's ambivalence and people can fight with each other and they can fight with God and they can do all and, he, and the, this lecturer who wasn't a, a follower of Jesus but was a very insightful man he said to me wow how do you know no wonder there's pain in the church because an ambivalence because um, man who wants to become like Jesus Christ look what happened to him I thought that's right let's not assume it's an easy path I mean, it's a good path. It's the path to glory. But, but Jesus, and, and you know what? 
the New Testament knows this. Jesus' glory uh, is seen most clearly in two places in Scripture. Uh, when the Bible talks about glory, and Jesus talks about in his own life, he says, I'm going to be glorified. Do you know what he's talking about? His death. The first primary place where the glory of Jesus is most clearly revealed is as he is as, as he has crushed, humiliated, tortured, and left to die by the forces of unlove. Hatred and evil and human sin put him on a cross, and he puts himself there and submits to them as an act of pure love. And it's on the cross of Jesus Christ that you see his greatest glory. It's the first place. So yeah, if you, want to, if you want to become like Jesus and you want the glory of Jesus, then you walk the path of pure love, which involves death to self. It actually does involve a death. It involves allowing yourself to be misunderstood, to be hated, to, be, uh, to, to allow lots of your desires to go unfulfilled. Your desire for revenge, your desire for greed, your lusts, your uh, selfishness your desire for immediate gratification. All kinds of desires have to be put to death, have to die. Your desire for status and climbing the hierarchy, all these things die. But where's the other place we see the glory of Jesus in the New Testament? Well, it's on the cross. You know the other place? It's in his return. He's, he's going to be with the Father and he's going to return in glory, to heal the world. And he'll return as, uh, as a crucified Savior, but as a glorious, conquering judge and king, the healer and the restorer who has vanquished all evil and now is making all things new. That's his glory. So what does that mean for us? The glory is this, uh, that we... That we are changed. How? How does this become real? Well, sorry, I'll back up. The glory is this. The glory is crucifixion and resurrection, return, new creation. That's, so it works in the end. But you, you don't get there without the descent, without the death. You don't get the resurrection without the crucifixion. How do you get that kind of glory? How do you become pure love? How do you become pure love that lasts? How do you become pure love that gives yourself up in death and service to others, but then is raised again in an indestructible, pure essence of glorious love that is the fulfillment of you? How do you find that? Well, you find that, dear friends, not by, the, not by pursuing it directly, through a process of self-improvement. Because what you could do now and what we can do is we can turn Christianity into just another form of self-improvement. And maybe you're sitting here, going, okay, I've got, to, I've got to crank up the obedience to Jesus path now, right? I've got, to, I've got to be a better Christian so this becomes true of me. And maybe you do. And maybe you should. But it's not going to get you a lasting glory. You know what gets you the lasting glory? One, 
anyone who turns to the Lord. So the first way to lasting glory is to turn to Jesus. Sounds funny. Don't, don't look to yourself. The first thing is to surrender to Jesus and turn to him and go, if I want glory in the world that'll last, I've got to look at Jesus. And then what I've got to do is when I turn to Jesus, and that's just a way of saying, I give up, I give up trying to save myself. I give up my own pursuit of glory. And I, I realize I need to connect with God's infinite source of glory. The only way to God, the only way to this lasting glory is through Jesus who's made it accessible on the cross and gives us hope that it'll finally be completed in his return. Other religions, and, and even Christianity can be used in this way, ultimately turn us back on ourselves and say, if you apply the tenets of this religion well enough, then possibly you'll be able to connect with God's glory. Christianity inverts that and says, all you and I have to do is admit that that our glory is fading, the only source of lasting glory in the world is, is that of God, and now God has made that available. He's come and he's thrown open, as it were, the power supply to that glory. And he said, just turn and grab. There it is, people. Just give up pursuing it yourself and turn to Jesus, and you'll see on the cross of Calvary, you'll see there all the glory that you and I ever need made perfectly accessible if you just want it just got to ask for it. So you turn to him, and then the ongoing process of transformation happens as we with unveiled faces. So now I see God. I've given up trying to save myself. I see God. And then what I discover, and the, the path of growth, is I just contemplate the Lord's glory. What's contemplate mean? It means study, think about, let it fill your consciousness. It means, so what do I see? It means if, I, if you want to be a changed individual and go from a 1 to a 10, see all of reality in the light of the face of Jesus Christ on the cross for you. You contemplate the Lord's glory because on the cross you see two things. One, you see how bad you are. You are so bad that Jesus had to die. Like, your glory is fading. You and I are in trouble. God knows that. He had to do something about it. So he came to die to make that glory available to us. We're so bad that he had to die. But the second truth we see that changes us is that we are so loved that he was glad to die. That he's, you are loved. Like, and you are loved unconditionally. Pure love poured out on the cross, and when you contemplate that and go, Jesus Christ died for me, that, that's, that plugs you in to spiritual, divine, real energy that changes you and changes me and heals me. Because what we need is love. The Beatles were right. All you need is love. Love is all you really need. but it's the love of the infinite divine creator God brutalized, dying on a cross for you. He takes your death, the eradication of your glory, and in exchange gives you his glory. That's what happens. So think about that. See your life 
in the light of the cross. And then see your light in the light of the return of Jesus in glory. Because um, here's the thing. I've been contemplating the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ for about 36 years now. And all of you can now testify that my glory is such that you wish I had a lampshade on because I've been so transformed into pure love. I have so few flaws left in me that it's difficult for you to be around me these days. Uh, you ask my family, they say, we can hardly come into the house anymore, Mark, because the glory of Jesus around you is so great. Even the dog doesn't quite know what to do with you because you're so glorious. Now you're all laughing because you know that's not true. Because you know that the transformation into Christ-likeness in me is in its very early stages. And it's in its very early stages for you. But the fact that it's only just started, and sometimes it feels like two steps forward, one step back, three steps around, do -si do your partner, fall down flat, give up, it can feel like that. And you can look at your life and you can go, I'm still a mess. I was a mess then, I'm a mess now, I'm probably always going to be a mess. And at one level that's true. But when you look at the glory of God and Jesus Christ and the returning King who makes all things new, you go, no, no, this process will find its completion in Jesus Christ. God is going to turn up the glory in your life to such an extent that if anyone saw what you were really going to be like in the new creation, we would fall on our faces in awe awe at, the at your splendor and glory and majesty. That's what C.S. Lewis said. There's, if, if we got a glimpse of what we are really like in Christ, we would we just fall down and we would have never have seen such a wonderful and simultaneously terrifying sight. That's what God has in store for you and for me. And, and though my progress there and my process of transformation is slow, it is happening and it will be completed one day as I contemplate Jesus. So what does that mean for us as a church? We must be a people who, who, who are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ by being a community who is saturated with, with the act and the work of contemplating the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That is the most important thing you can do any, any day to actually orient your life around the true glory of Jesus Christ. Do that before you go to work. Do that while you're at work. Do that while you're cooking dinner. Do that while you're making love to your partner. Do that while you're putting the kids to bed. Do that while you're making money. Do that while you're paying your taxes. Do that while you're coming to church. Build a life that from beginning to end, is oriented around the glory of God and Jesus Christ, and you're tapping into that. It doesn't mean you've got to stop all the time what you're doing, but it means to find a practice and a way of being that says, there is my life. There is my love. There is my glory. There is my future. That's how we're transformed from the inside out. That's a vision for our church. Imagine that. A community of people who are becoming increasingly like Jesus together. Increasingly pure love in all the various facets of our lives. 
And it means that you'll become, you'll go from a one or a two or a three to becoming all that you in your heart of hearts long to be. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, set us free with the freedom that comes from the Spirit to be all that you want us to be, everything that you've died and risen again to make us. Help us even this morning to turn to the Lord, to turn to you, to find in you the glory that will change us from the inside out and bring about the full flourishing of our humanity that will increasingly make us women and men and children of pure love in the way of Jesus. And we ask this in his name and for his sake and for the blessing and the renewal and the healing of the world. Amen.